budget work session of the Richmond City Council will now come to order. Madam Clerk, if you would please uh, announce our electronic meeting uh, guidance and uh, then follow with the roll call. Yes, Madam President. Before we begin this afternoon's meeting, I must state the following for the record. This work session will be held through electronic communication means pursuant to and in compliance with Ordinance Number 2020-093, adopted April 9th of 2020, as most recently amended by Ordinance Number 2020-232, adopted December 14th of 2020. Notice of this work session was provided by, to the public by means of a public information advisory issued on Thursday, February 11th of 2021, as well as through Legistar on the city's website in accordance with our usual practice. There will be no opportunities for public comment and no public hearings during this session. And in order to identify each council member who is present electronically for this session, I will now call the roll. Mr. Addison? Present. Ms. Jordan? Here. Ms. Lambert? Ms. Larson? Ms. Lynch? Ms. Trammell? Here. Vice President Roberts, I'm sorry, um, Mr. Jones? Present. Vice President Robertson? Here. And President Newbill? Here. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clark. With that, members, uh, the today's uh, budget presentation will be uh, facilitated by our staff, Mr. Bill Eichelberger and uh, Mrs. Sampson Anderson. So, Mr. Eichelberger, if you would get us started. I'll be happy to. Um, technologically, a, log, a troglodyte, um, it may take me a second to get everything up the way we want it. Um, right now, you should see a screen that just says um, City Council analysis of the proposed FY22 operating budget presented April 5th with a beautiful scene from the Ninth Street Bridge. Is that what everybody's seen? Yes, Ms. Eichelberger, we have good. that. So, so far the technology uh, is good. I haven't been able to mess it up. Um, we have gone over the proposed budget and prepared this presentation for you uh, this afternoon. And as, as you probably are aware, I had promised that we would run this by uh, Jay Brown and the budget office. And I really have to thank Jay and the budget office staff, as well as the folks in the human resource uh, office uh, and Lincoln Saunders for the input they had when this was sent out to everybody on Wednesday. There have been a few changes that I would characterize as minor, minor. correcting typos, um, uh, rounding differences. The administration did ask for a few uh, clarifications which have been accommodated and they asked for some additional words in a couple places to provide some context. And I've tried to accommodate that as well. But again, I just want to take a minute to thank them for their help um, at the end of last week. Um, the revisions were sent out to all of y'all on Friday afternoon. So moving into the first part of the presentation, I, I just want for the for the new members, especially, but also some of the members who have been here for a while, a little refresher on the parameters within which city council operates for reviewing the budget. 
And um, let me start with the parameters governing revenues. Um, the first thing to note is that the federal CARES money and the American Res Rescue Plan Act monies are not included in the mayor's proposed budget and they are not included in this presentation. At the moment, with regard to the American Rescue Plan Act funds, we don't have reliable information. We're, we're basically all, and this is all of us all over the country, are waiting for the Treasury to produce their, their guidance, um, and that's due in, in May. Uh, so we're waiting a little while longer before we can say anything about that. Um, back to the city budget, there's several things that city council may not do. Um, under the city charter. And the first thing is you may not change revenues, uh, except in two circumstances. The first is if they omitted something, like if they forgot to include the admissions tax, you could go back and say, oh, I'm correcting the error of not including the emissions tax. And then you could, um, you could change that revenue source. You could uh, correct mathematical errors. So if they slip the decimal point, for example, you can correct that. Um, the thing is that you have to have the, the mayor's sign off, the mayor's certification of those revenues that you have corrected. Um, so everybody has to be in agreement on the revenues. Uh, Bill, Bill, I'm sorry to stop you. This is Councilman Jones. Can you go over again or give another example of what changing revenues looks like in something that we may have addressed or handled in the past? You're able to give an example that way. Uh, you know, we have never changed revenues in terms of correcting an error or uh, an omission. What has happened in the past is and, and we're working on this this year as well. We will talk to the city assessor and we will get updated numbers on the assessments uh, because the numbers the administration was working with were from back in February and the assessor has updated. I mean, they're updating the numbers all the time, but they've certainly updated them between uh, the middle to end of February and today. Uh, and if it looks like there might be some changes in the uh, the real estate taxes revenues because of those assessments. Uh, we usually work with the administration to get them to certify those numbers. But that's the only example I can think of where uh, we've made a correction to the um, to the revenues. And this is something that while we're on the topic, I might as well go ahead and address. As we look through some of the revenue sources, you're going to see some that will look like they they might have been a little higher for next year than they have they, than they have projected and i'll point out a couple of those as we go through but that's not an error or omission that is a policy choice where when i look at a number i think you know i might have been willing to take that number a little higher uh but because of COVID, that's a matter of, of how sensitive you are to the risk of taking that number higher. And I'm probably a little more uh, risk tolerant than some other people are. 
but that's a policy choice. That is not one of the changes that you can, uh, that is not one of the reasons for which you can change the revenues. You know, if, if they look at it and say it's, it's blue and I look at it and say it's aqua, it's still blue because that's what the administration said. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Thank, okay. thank you, Mr. Eichelberger. Councilwoman Robertson, I see your hand up. Councilwoman Robertson, you're muted, but your hand is up. Is that intentional there? Yes, I'm sorry. I'm glad I was okay. muted. Um, yes, my question is um, in regards to the revenue projection with the assessor um, and the probability or possibility of change in the revenue screen um, based on assessment values um, and also the projection of revenues from the administration that makes up this budget. And one of the things that I would like for us to take into consideration as we go through the budget process is having a better um, appreciation for what factors are considered when we do revenue projections for all sources of revenue. Um, is it based on some, some uh, concrete factors that we use to make those assessments um, that we can better appreciate and understand and perhaps we can look at um, the same with the assessor as to when those assessments are done and how can those assessments done on a different schedule to give us a more accurate projection of revenue. Um, to respond to that, that question, um, in my discussions with the, the city assessor, he has noted that the schedule for the assessments is a little bit off um, because of the way it, it interacts with the actual movement in the, the uh, real estate markets, both commercial and residential. Um, and he, he does have a, a proposal for changing that assessment schedule. Um, so that's something that council might want to look at along with the administration uh, as you move to do the uh, the prep for the FY23 budget. Um, he, he has already finished all the work that he's going to do uh, for the FY22 budget, but there, there are some tweaks to the schedule that he has in mind that would benefit the city, he thinks. Um, with regards to the projection of the other, uh, all the all the revenue sources, each revenue source is unique, and each subcomponent of those revenue sources is unique. Um, my experience in dealing with people at the state department of taxation, and also the staff uh, for the finance committee who who did the review of the revenue projections is that while there is some technical um, component. Uh, revenue projection is also an art uh, to a large extent that you, you have to have somebody who is experienced, who can look at the numbers and say, 
here's what the trend is showing, but here's what I think is going to happen with all these moving parts uh, meshing together. So the, I think one of the keys is having some really talented people in your finance department um, who are capable of looking at these and then making those uh, those assumptions based on what I would say is 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 as much an art as a science. Um, that's my observation after having watched this take place for years. Um, to get in and go over all of them might be a bit cumbersome because uh, there are literally hundreds, but it's it's worth taking a look at and getting into more detail into the revenue process, um, especially for some of the major sources. Um, but that's something that council could do um, during the next few months, I think. Thank you, Mr. Eichelberger. Uh, if I understand correctly as well, you will also be meeting with Mr. Ritchie sometime soon. And so uh, we'll possibly in the future bring back some recommendations uh, thereof in terms of assessments. And then, as you said, with the other sources, we could look up at those over a period of time. Is that accurate? It, 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 ex exactly. Um, I had a preliminary meeting with um, with the assessor uh, about a week and a half ago. And as is normal for this time of year, asked him if he would go back and look at the assessments to see if there was any anything that could be updated. And he has done that. I have not met with him to go over okay. his numbers yet, um, so I can't give you anything. Exactly. Uh, but but even after I meet with him subsequent to that, I'm going to have to meet with the administration for right. uh, some review by them, because at the end of the day, um, the mayor has to certify that the monies will be available. Thank you. So we look forward to that uh, future update. Councilmember Jordan. Thank you. My question, and I, I do appreciate this review. Um, and I understand this would not be something for us to put forward, but I just wonder at what point, if the governor and the General Assembly do move forward on the legalization of marijuana for July 1, are there revenues that we should be considering or projecting that occurs? I'm just wondering when we'll know about that. Thank you. Wow. Um July 1 is when the legislation will take effect if I'm if I'm remembering correctly that's correct a, a council member has put in, or the mayor one or the other has put in an ordinance on marijuana legalization in the city of Richmond I think I would have to defer to the administration but it would strike me that what is is likely to happen would be that they would provide you with some amendments to the budget uh, subsequent to uh, the new fiscal year starting on July 1st. But I can raise that issue in my discussions with them as to whether there's a way to to uh, build that in during the council budget process. But it, it's more likely a budget amendment uh, or a series of budget amendments after July 1st. It is my understanding it's July 1st, but we'll get clarification on that, I believe, uh, Mr. Brown, are you on and do you have information in that regard? Otherwise, I see a couple of council members who have hands up. Uh, yes, ma'am. Uh, it all depends on what the General Assembly does with the governor's proposed amendments. 
Okay, and that date we're looking at right now, at least as best as we understand it, is July 1st. That, that's what the governor has asked the General Assembly to approve. Right. Okay, Ms. Lynch and then Ms. Robertson. This is just a point of clarification for Councilmember Jordan's question, and maybe this will provide some clarification for the others. Um, at this point in time, uh, the way that the legislation is written, um, it, it, it is going to be decriminalized, but as a um, substance, it cannot be taxed because it is categorized as a far, it's still categorized as a medicinal um, drug, and we do not tax, and we cannot tax, according to the Code of Virginia, pharmaceutical products um, in the Commonwealth. So in 2024, when we have adult recreational use and that becomes available as a retail product and is no longer, I don't know if the state chooses to no longer categorize it as a pharmaceutical, then you can apply a tax. But until that time, you can not uh, tax cannabis. Thank you, uh, Councilmember Lynch. Councilmember Robertson? Yes, ma'am. I just wanted to add um, and thanks, thank you, Council Person uh, Lynch, for that clarification on the marijuana. Um, and as it relates to things that Council, I think it's important that we that we remind ourselves through this budget process that uh, this is our one and only opportunity to do amendments to the budget. Um, once the budget is adopted. All additional amendments made throughout the year has to come from the mayor. Is that correct, uh, staff? Uh, yes, ma'am. I think, in fact, that's on the next slide. But it's it's a key point that um, once the budget is adopted, the only amendments that can be made are ones that come from the mayor. Now, council can and has in the past uh, requested uh, that the mayor put in amendments but the mayor is not required to honor those requests. Um, and if if I remember correctly, uh, it's come up in the past as to whether council could amend the budget after it passes, but before July 1st. And the answer has been you have to wait until July 1st for the mayor to send amendments to the budget. Thank you, Mr. Eichel Bertiker. If you would please um, proceed because we have a fairly lengthy we do. presentation. We, we do have a lengthy presentation. And, and we may need to use some other time from a budget work session, but we'll see how far we get today. It, exactly. I've already told the clerk to put on the agenda for next week continuation of this if we don't complete it within the two hours. Um, Perfect. The last, the last point here on this particular slide is that council may not adopt a budget in which the total of expenditures exceeds receipts unless at the same time it adopts additional revenue measures, for example, an increase in a tax or a fee. Um, what that is, is that's, that's the language that when the city attorney reviewed this particular piece, they wanted it a little fuller, but it basically is saying you got to have a balanced budget. And the only way you can pass a budget that has more money in it than what was proposed is if you adopt a tax increase or a fee increase. So that's 
that's what that one is. It's just an admonition that you have to have a balanced budget. Now moving on to expenditures. You'll see in the presentation that that I have cut the budget up into some some subsets that don't necessarily correspond to the general government, you know, and whatever that you normally see in the budget book. Um, I've done that because I think it's easier for council to look at, for example, what the budgets look like for the council agencies, what the budgets look like for those agencies that deal with your finances, what the budget looks like for those agencies that deal with your, your administration of government. So I've broken it up into those kinds of categories. Um, another thing that is important to remember about the, the operating budget is that the charter requires that the, the budget be at the departmental level or at a greater level of detail. That's at the discretion of council. Now, in recent years, prior to this current fiscal year, which it did not do because of COVID, council has appropriated money by program. And program is an aggregation in this sense is an aggregation of uh, the actual programs that are in the budget book. In some cases, it's been breaking out service levels. And you'll be able to see a little bit of that as we go through some of the individual um, budget, budget displays. Um, but that council has done it at a, at a greater level of detail in some recent years, but you cannot under the charter do it at a lesser level of detail. Um, there are a couple things council may, well, there's one thing council may not do and another that it must do. Um, you may not reduce the debt payments. So when you see the debt service number that's provided by the administration in the budget, that number is one you've got to stick with. You can't change it. Um, and you've got to produce a balanced budget, like I was talking about a, a minute ago. When it comes to text amendments, text amendments must impose a condition on the administration of an appropriation. So you can't just have a statement of general principle as a text amendment. You can propose that some of those things that are related to the budget uh, be drafted as resolutions. And for, for the time being, if you just give them to us as text amendments, we'll work with the city attorney to figure out if that is in fact a text amendment that goes in the budget, if that's an ordinance that will be uh, passed as, along with the budget, or if that's a resolution that would be passed along with the budget. Um, but, but text amendments aren't for just general policy. Uh, they are for imposing conditions on an appropriation. The capital budget is not included in this presentation. The capital budget is going to be taken up in a presentation next week. Um, and uh, so we'll we'll move forward with that. Does any I can pause now if anybody has any questions about these expenditure parameters. Members, are there any further questions at this point? Seeing none, Mr. Eichelberger, please proceed to the next section. The next thing I'm going to do is move on to uh, a brief discussion of revenues, because even though 
you can't change the revenues unless there's an error or omission, and I haven't detected any errors or omissions. Um, understanding the revenues your budget is based on is, is fairly important. Um, it's interesting to note, as you can see in, okay. in this slide. Thank you. Um, as you can see in this slide, that even with the COVID um, pandemic impacting revenues in FY21, the current fiscal year, they have continued to, to grow. That growth slowed significantly in FY21, um, but they've continued to grow as we move into um, FY22. Now, looking at the major sources of revenue, you can see the major sources. There are local sources, and those are ones that you can set uh, by ordinance. There are monies you get from the state. There are monies you get from the federal government. And then there's a transfer in from utilities that occurs um, every year. And local sources for FY22 are projected to grow by $18.1 million. That's the, the blue bar in this chart. Transfers in are projected to grow by 7.3 million. That's the purple bar at the far right if you compare FY21 to FY22 proposed. State and federal revenues are gonna be stable. Um, the state revenues go from 24.6 to 25.2. That's basically 25 million. Um, the federal revenues go, no, excuse me, that was federal. The state revenues um, go from 93.7 to 93.9, so only $200,000 difference on the state revenues. Now, looking at that, that local sources bar, that blue bar, I want to break that down a little more for you. Um, property taxes are where most of your growth is. Property taxes are projected to grow by $26.6 million. Your other local taxes are projected to decline by $8.3 million. And we'll look at that in a second, but that's that's where your admissions tax, your meals tax, things that you would have expected with COVID that they got hit a little bit. Permits, fees, and licenses are projected to, dec to decline by $2.6 million. Recovered costs, they don't change a whole lot. Now, looking at your property taxes, uh, your current real estate taxes are forecast to grow by 3.2 million. Now, in FY21, you had a decline from the proposed budget. When the budget was introduced last year, it was 17.3 million higher than what you ended up with in FY21 uh, on, on the real estate taxes. Um, FY22 current real estate taxes are projected to grow by $26.2 million. So after that brief hiatus, even though they grew a little bit in FY21, they didn't grow by nearly what they were projected to. And you're returning to growth, but not quite as robust growth as, as would have been the case had it not been for COVID. 
And all your other property taxes, that's your delinquent property tax, real estate tax, your your uh, personal property tax, your delinquent personal property tax, they're only going to grow by about $400,000. So most of your growth, uh, most of your growth in the general fund budget is growth in real estate taxes. And you look around Richmond and that's explained by the uh, new construction, mostly in multifamily. Um, that's explained by assessments going up as the market goes up. So real estate taxes, unsurprisingly, are the place where you've got um, your major growth. Other local taxes, they declined by a net $8.3 million. The meals tax declined. The city's portion of the meals tax is going to decline by $5.2 million. The meals tax, the school's portion, is projected to decline by 1.3 million. The transient lodging tax is projected to decline by 2.6 million. Um, the admissions tax is projected to decline by 1 million. Um, those are all COVID impacts. Um, local sales and use tax uh, projected to increase by 1.5. And for that, we have to be thankful for the federal legislation that allows uh, the state taxation of internet sales, uh, interstate, interstate inter, internet sales, uh, because that's where probably a lot of that growth is coming from. All your other local taxes are going up by $400,000 roughly. Um, in FY22, business license taxes are pretty much unchanged, but there's 6.4 million less than what was proposed, what, what was the actual case in FY20. So in FY21, they went down by 6.4 million and they pretty much stayed in the same place. Mr. Eichelberger? Yes. Before you leave that section, uh, there is a question. Okay. Ms. Lynch? Thank you, Madam President. Um, just curious about the meals tax. Um, what are we basing? Are, I mean, that seems like a guesstimate. Are, are we just assuming, making an assumption that we're going to have a reduction in folks eating out, or where is that? What's that? What, what methodology? Well, as far as the exact methodology, it's it's akin to it's related to what I said before that. Yeah, there's some technicalities involved, but it's also uh, partly an art. Um, I would have to defer to someone for the finance department uh, to get an explanation of what went on with the meals tax uh, precisely. Um, and, you know, the only thing I could say is that this this is one of those those places where one person would look at it and be a little more risk averse because we don't know if COVID is going to continue. Uh, we don't know how many restaurants will succumb to COVID. Um, and others might look at it and be a little more risk tolerant. So this is where the art in uh, revenue forecasting comes in. But if there's if there's somebody from the administration who wanted to give a very brief um, explanation of what's going on with meals tax, I think that would be helpful. 
Do we have someone from the administration? I see a hand raised, but I don't see a name. name. Or Um, or President Newbell, this is. um, Okay. Hey, good good afternoon, everybody. Um, I think if we were to, you know, be able to follow up in writing, we could provide a more fulsome um, analysis for the councilwoman's to address the councilwoman's question. Uh, it's certainly, uh, I think it's safe to say that this is a projection based off of um, some optimism that um, meals tax collections will increase in the next year, but not assuming that we're going to go back to the same levels we were able to budget for or anticipate project um, pre-COVID. So um, I know, I believe these uh, projections were put together by uh, John Wack prior to his um, departure from the city. So, uh, but the finance team could certainly pull up the analysis and be able to share. Thank you, Mr. Saunders. Ms. Robertson? Uh, Yes. Um, Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, It would be helpful to be able to see um, the actual, what what we have experienced so far this year, in this year's budget where we see a decrease in the actual revenues in these categories. while we know what the effect has, so that we have a better appreciation for the effect of this um, this budget year that we're currently in um, and the decreases in the amount of revenue, so that as we're looking at the projections for the coming year, which we hope is going to be a different year than the 12, last 12 months that we've experienced. However, um, we don't know that, um, but it would be good to be able to look at um, and, you know, having it in a bar graph like you have here um, helps a lot to be able to show maybe the year pre-COVID what the revenues in those categories were, what they were, what what we experienced during COVID, and then looking at what we are projecting for 22, um, I think would give us a better appreciation for where we are. Right. If that can be done. Thank you. Let me let me Thank point you. out one thing that that as you look at the bars, especially the bars for um, the meals, the meals tax uh, and the prepared food, food tax for schools. Um, part of what's going on in comparing FY 21, the current fiscal year to FY 22 is that you're. In, in, well, and especially comparing FY20, FY20 was almost over by the time COVID really had a major impact on the um, the restaurant industry. Um, FY21 has had a major impact so far, and then FY22 will probably continue that, but. You know, again, we can get some more information, as Lincoln said, in, in their written response to questions. Thank you, Mr. I- uh, Mr. Addison. Yes, thank you, Council President. To um, this question, I think we could probably look at the monthly financial report from uh, the Department of Finance from Ms. White. Um, I think March should be coming up soon. For their latest report, so we can see in that a lot of the revenue projections and how they are for a positive, negative based upon year to date, 
it was really helpful to kind of see a little bit more. While not official audited reports, it is a really good place to kind of gauge how we are. And I think comparing that to maybe 2019 can show you a little bit more of that, um, I guess, reflection on exactly what's changed in our economy from two years ago versus today. Thank you, Mr. Addison. Mr. Eichelberger. Moving on, um, there's this category called miscellaneous revenue. Um, and those sources are projected to increase by 1.3 million. And what that basically is, is payments in lieu of taxes from enterprise activities are up by 1.6 and everything else is down by 0.3. Um, so your enterprise activities paying you taxes, uh, payments in lieu of taxes are um, the is the driver behind this this 1.6 million, but behind this 1.3 million net increase in revenues. Um, the last category is something called transfers in, which has grown by 7 million. And here's on this slide just a listing of the growth in the transfers in. Um, one is 2.5 million from the capital maintenance reserve fund, 1 million from DPU dividend payment, uh, 859,000 was the RPS fund balance from the previous fiscal year coming back in. After an audit a few years ago, the city had to get much more precise in the way it handles the, um, the RPS fund balance. It, it was previously just being left over in RPS, but they're under state law not able to carry a fund balance. So all of that's been corrected as we straightened out the issues that existed with your um, annual financial report. And so now that money comes back, but then it's gonna be reappropriated back. Um, the assigned fund balance for school facilities, 1.9 million. The assigned fund balance for the percent for the arts, 306,000. Uh, the committed fund balance for RPS, 90,000, uh, and the assigned, bond, assigned fund balance for COVID-19, $547,000. So that's where that $7.3 million in growth and transfers in comes from. Mr. Eichelberger, before you proceed from this section, there's a question. Council Member Larson. Uh, thank you, Dr. Newbell. So, can you explain to me what the capital maintenance reserve fund is, please? That's money that came that from um, um, your, your fund balance policy. And it just has to be brought forward on the books. Does that make sense? So it was dollars that were allocated for projects but weren't um, um, in, in the current fiscal year. Or, I'm sorry. The no, it's, it's it's money. It's money from your year-end fund balance from the end of FY20 that was carried forward and was not spent on capital projects. Um, um, now, if you Bill, want, you want, go ahead. Is that Mr. Saunders? Okay. Mr. Saunders. Yes, hi. Is it? Um, okay. 
actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and hold off. I'll, I'll let Bill finish and then may have some some comments. Okay. Um, trying to recover my train of thought. Um, now, the one thing I will tell you is that the the capital budget, when we get to that next week, does have a considerable amount of cash that's being spent in the capital budget for um, FY22. Uh, and um, the other thing, and this might get to, to something Lincoln was going to say, it's entirely possible that – now, I'll just l let Lincoln – go from here because the only thing I want to point out is there's a lot of cash that's in the capital budget for next year. Thank you. Mr. Saunders, anything that you want to add at this point? Well, first I was going to ask um, if Dr. Brown had any, could provide any clarification and then. Good afternoon. Yes. Good afternoon, Madam President. Um, yes, this is cash funding from the City's assigned portion of the fund balance per our policies portion of surplus funding gets allocated towards a capital maintenance reserve. Just like in our current fiscal year, uh, we are recommending the full appropriation of what's in our capital maintenance reserve to go to specific critical uh, city related uh, capital projects. So critical um, deferred maintenance in city building and facilities. Thank you, Mr. Brown. Okay, so is this um, is this a normal amount that we usually bring forward annually, like around five ish? Yeah, maintenance you, you would, fund? Yeah, you would. Well, the amount's going to vary year to year based on how how your fund balance was for the year. Um, but normally this is going to be taking place at least since you've adopted the fund balance policy. Um, you normally don't see it broken down though. I think this is the first time I've seen a presentation to council that said, okay, your transfers in is it breaks down to, to these sources. So it's been happening. The dollar amounts will vary year to year, but usually you see the aggregate number transfers in the the budget book doesn't break it down in a greater level of detail and this year because it, it's growing more than most of your revenue sources i asked the budget office to break it down and they provided this list but these are normal things that you would see thank you mr eichelberger mr saunders was there additional comment comment thank you president but i was just going to speak to the, uh, the actual Bill mentioned it related to the cash funding for the capital uh, maintenance. Um, we do uh, have a policy goal that um, we're looking to bring forward with city council, but that we've discussed and I think in many of our, our budget briefings for the individual members related to um, achieving a 3% goal of uh, cash funding our capital maintenance. Um, I believe this reserve fund is fairly similar to the amount that we actually have um, in the cash funding side. So um, I just wanted to point out that that is, you know, the financial best practice that we are not where we need to be yet as far as achieving that goal, but we are putting in um, place this year a, a, a three-year plan to, or excuse me, I believe that's a five-year plan to achieve that 3% of um, our budget directed at our, our actual capital maintenance. 
Thank you, Mr. Saunders. Mr. Eichelberger, uh, if we could proceed. We can. That finishes the discussion that I had planned for um, the revenues. And now we're about to move into an overview of the general fund expenditure side of those revenues. So the first thing I want to show you is that your general fund expenditures have continued the trend upward. Uh, it's up 26.2 million from FY21. Um, that's 3.5%. And you'll see that 3.5% number coming up in a, in a slide in just a minute. Now in FY21, your expenditures went up over what they were in FY20 by about $12 million. But keep in mind that 12 million increase was 38.6 million less than what had been proposed when the mayor introduced his budget uh, in March. And that 38.6 million reduction is entirely because of COVID. Um, FY22, there are some highlights. And I think the important thing to remember, these are the major things that the new money in in the FY22 budget is proposed to go for. And the first is 9.9 .9 million in compensation. And usually when you've heard folks talk about the compensation uh, changes that are proposed in the in the uh, the introduced budget, they talk about them piecemeal. They talk about police and fire step. They talk about the class and comp study, but they don't aggregate them together. And when you aggregate them together, it's the single largest uh, expenditure class in the proposed budget, 9.9 .9 million out of the 26.2. I haven't figured out what percentage that is, but it's a pretty good one. Um, of that 9.9 .9 million, 5.8 million is the class and comp study. 2.5 million is the police and fire step, and that's a two-step increase, not just a single step. Um, there's 1.6 million for the constitutional officer's 5% salary increase. That's a, an across-the-board increase of 5% for all the constitutional officers. Um, there's a plus 300,000 for health insurance cost increase, and there's a negative 300,000 for retirement those are not reflective of the rate change. The health insurance cost per unit actually went up. The retirement rate actually went up, but you've got fewer employees for whom you're paying health insurance and retirement. So on net, your health insurance cost and retirement uh, cost went down. The debt service is going up by $6.5 million. And remember, I said earlier, you can't change the debt service number. It simply reflects the amount of money that's needed to make payments on the debt that has been previously authorized by council and now the payments are coming due. There's an increase of 5.4 million for Richmond Public Schools. There's an increase of 1.1 million for the Marcus Alert and all the other changes in all of the departments, the non-departmental, everywhere in the budget is only $3.3 million net change. And that's hundreds, if not thousands of changes going up and down, only total $3.3 million 
And out of a $770 million budget, that's not even rounding error. Um, but uh, I just thought you, sh you should take a look or that I should show you what the big pots of money going for and let you think about, you know, how you might want to modify this, if if at all. Again, with the caveat that the six point five million for debt you can't you can't touch. Now, Mr. I oh, go ahead. Before you leave that slide, Mr. Eichelberger, um, Council Member Lambert, you have a question. Yes, thank you, Madam President, and thank you, Mr. Eichelberger, for this um, presentation. It's very helpful as a new council person. On, um, I had a question about the um, negative point three million for retirement. Um, and what, can you just explain to me what does that number represent? Is that a decrease in the allocation to retirement? Can you just explain that to me? Okay. And then um, 3.3 million other net changes. Is that just total and all with everything going on? Um, we're just looking at what 3 million over. If you could just explain that number to me as well. It'd be helpful. Well, let me start with that 3.3 million dollar number. Okay. Um, if you go department by department, line item by line item, there are literally thousands of changes that make up the budget. And you might have a line item that goes up by $1,000 here, but a line item that goes you know, uh, down by 1,000 someplace else, so that's a net zero. You might have one that goes um, down by 1.5 million, but goes Another line item in the same department goes up by one. So your net change there is half a million. And if you add all of those up for all the departments, they total net $3.3 million. And we're gonna, we're gonna look at some of the more significant elements of that other net change. But for the most part, they're tiny little things like the cost of fuel, the cost of uh, a utility, the cost of, uh, you know, some other element that goes into making a budget. A lot of the negatives are the administration taking out one-time funding uh, where money was put in the FY20 budget for something that there will not be a recurring cost in FY22. So they make adjustments for that. They take it out. But then there, there are other things going into the FY22 budget that would be for one-time things. Um, so it's there's there's no one simple answer to what's in that 3.3 million. It's just everything else plus and minus comes to 3.3 million, which is a very small number in the context of a 770 million dollar budget. Now going back to the let me let me pause there and see does that help you with the other net changes number. Yeah, that's yeah, that that definitely answers the question. I appreciate. Um, and then I just was um, curious about the retirement. Um, you know, I know that was a concern, um, making sure that we are on top of um, um, OPEG and all of those issues. So I, I know that falls under the debt transfer. We can't we have to deal with that. Um, but well, I no, that doesn't fall under the debt transfer, but it does fall under something else. You're You're required to. To pay, to pay the actually derived retirement rates, right? Um, but but the retirement number there has nothing to do with OPEB. It has nothing to do with 
you know, post-retirement benefits at all. It has nothing to do uh, with the auditor's recommendation that you put in more lump sum payments every year to try to address the um, unfunded liability for the retirement program. What that is is very simply, when the actuary did the calculations of what the rate should be, the rate actually went up. But there are fewer people employed by the city now than there were a year ago, so the cost actually goes down. When you apply those higher rates to a lower salary base, mm -hmm. your cost goes down by $300,000 roughly. That's okay. that's all that's going on there. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. I Thank appreciate you. that explanation. You're Thank welcome. you, Mr. Eichelberger. Councilwoman Robertson has a question relative to this item. This. Thank you, Dr. Newbill. Um, my question is, is just to give some clarity as to what uh, the $1.1 million for the Marcus Alert. Um, the only information I have is that it's the Marcus Alert. We'll, we'll include that in the questions we submit, submit to the administration and try to get you know a better answer for what the 1.1 million is going to buy you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Eichelberger. Uh, we'll move on to the next section. Now, because the single biggest thing in the proposed budget is employee compensation, uh, I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about employee compensation, uh, both in general and in specific with some of the proposals that are in the budget. So if you look at the proposed salary increases, in the proposed budget. The first group, 622 employees, 100% uh, of that group will get a 5% salary increase. Those state-supported locals, those are the constitutional officers, and I'm going to come back and hit that a little bit more in, in some detail, but that's a 5% increase in their base salary for those 622 people. And again, I'm coming back in more detail in a minute. For your general employees, those are the non-sworn city employees other than the constitutional officers. Out of the 2,496 of them, 1,636 or 65%, 66% will get movement towards the midpoint if they're eligible. And I'm going to come back and talk about that a little bit more. There are 860 general employees who will not qualify for a salary increase under the proposed budget uh, because they are already at or above the midpoint, they're at the maximum for the scale, or for some other reason, they might not qualify for the movement towards the midpoint that's, that's uh, been proposed under implementation of the Gallagher study. And finally, get to the sworn police and fire, there are 1,122. Um, 820 or 73% are going to get one or two steps. Um, what, what I was told on that is in a year where uh, there is no step increase, like in FY21, uh, they try to double up the next year and do two steps. So that's what's happening here. Those steps range from 1.9% all the way up to what they call a super step of 12%. And again, I'm going to come back in more detail on that. Other sworn police and fire, 302, that's 27% roughly, 
will not get a salary increase out of this, but that's just the way the state, the, the um, sworn police and fire step plan works. Um, and I'll, again, I'll get into more detail on all these pay plans in just a second. Before Mr. I get into those, though, was there a question? Mr. Eichelberger, before you leave that last slide, uh, Councilwoman, uh, Councilmember Trammell, did you have a question about that? Okay. And Madam President, not really about this, but it's mostly about the um, the Richmond and Lambs Authority, about taking a million dollars away from them, especially in the time that we're in COVID and everything. And, and you know, I, I think I don't think we should be taking that million dollars away from them. Not at this time. Definitely not. Okay. Thank I, you, Councilwoman Trammell. And Mr. Eichelberger, as we go forward, we'll certainly um, be referencing that item uh later, not necessarily this presentation, but possibly next Monday? Um, possibly if there's a need. I think if you take a look at the responses we got from the questions that were posed during Jay Brown's presentation last week, there okay. was a question about the ambulance authority, and I think that is answered in the response we got from the administration. If there's a need for more detail than that, if you'll please let us know, we'll follow up with uh, Jay and try to get more detail for people. But but that was addressed in the administration's responses. Thank you, Mr. Eichelberger. I will review and they'll maybe follow up. Yes, ma'am. Now, moving on, what I want to do, and I don't want to dwell on this. Um, this table shows the five-year history of salary increases for city employees and for Richmond Public School employees. And if you look um, in Richmond, in FY21, the current year, the public safety employees did not get their step and the general employees got um, no salary increase. In 2019, 18 and 17, the public safety uh, employees got salary increases. That's just how the step plan operates. Um, general employees only got salary increases of 3% in FY20, year before this one, and in FY19, a 1% salary increase. Richmond Public Schools, just for, by, by way of comparison, in 21, 20, 19, 18, and 17, they have gotten, teachers have gotten uh, a salary increase plus a step increase in the first, the last four years. And then in FY17, they got variable increases as the school system implemented uh, changes to their pay plan to try to take into, um, into account for uh, compression. And compression's nothing more than uh, new employees have to be hired at the market. And by bringing new employees in at the market, you end up with old employees who haven't gotten salary increases making the same or only a little bit more than the, the new employees. And so schools tried to deal with that in FY17. The important comparison for Richmond City, because we don't employ teachers, that, those are over in the schools, are the support staff. These are all the people who make the schools run day to day who aren't the teachers, they aren't the principals. They aren't the the uh, secretaries in the principal's office. Those people are counted under teachers. 
but support employees are the people who are the equivalent of your general employees. And the school's support employees have gotten salary increases in each of the last five years. Uh, 2% in the current fiscal year, 3% in 20, 2% in 19, 2.5% in 18, and 1.2% in 17. So that's trying to give some kind of, you know, context to where things are, uh, are going and have been going for the different employee groups within the boundaries of the city of Richmond. Now, if there are no questions on that, I'm going to talk a little bit about the police and fire step increases. There's two and a half million dollars in the budget proposed for the step increases for police and fire. Um, there's 900,000 for the fire step increases and 1.6 million for the police step increase. Of the 1,122 sworn officers covered by the public safety plan, 820 sworn officers will receive step increases. 691 will get the two-step increase. Um, 129 or 11.5% will get a one-step increase. 302 sworn officers uh, are not eligible for one reason or the other. Um, most of these, to be honest with you, they're not eligible because they're either new recruits and they're not eligible for a salary increase until they've been around for a short while. Uh, so they don't give salary increase to new recruits uh, who are like still in a training academy or something like that. Um, they won't be giving salary increase to those senior officers who are eligible for what they call a super step um, as their next step increase. They have to wait five years to get a super step. And they're not going to go to anybody who's at top of scale because these salary increases don't move the pay scale. They move people within the pay scale. So you've got a few people who are already at the top of the pay scale. Um, the step increases for ranges two through six, the first steps are 1.9 to 2.3%, they're annual. Uh, the final two steps are larger, either they range between 9.3 to 12% super steps. You have to wait five years before you qualify for that. There used to be three super steps, but the Gallagher study phase one, which was implemented back in 2019, uh, converted one of those previous three super steps to five annual steps. So it, it added annual steps so they don't have to wait for uh, five years before they qualify. Ranges one, which are, are the recruits, and seven through 12, which are the senior like managerial, these are the lieutenants, captains, I forget what all ranks are covered, you know, all the way up to the chief. Um, their first steps are 1.3 to 2.9, uh, and they don't have super steps for these groups. Okay. Was there Mr. a question? Eichelberger, yes, before you leave, um, Councilwoman Robertson. Yeah, um, my question is in regards to um, back to the salary increases with rich and public schools. Um, yes. We we are frequently 
advised to think that we have excessive turnover because we don't treat uh, employees fairly as far as giving them annual increase in pay. Um, it would be interesting to know if schools um, feel like because they are consistent every year in providing increase in pay for their teachers as well as their support staff as to whether or not it has what impact it has had on turnover. That's an interesting question, and we will forward that to Mr. Tamaris and see if we can get a response along with the others from the administration. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Eichelberger. Uh, let me see. You were at 18, I believe. Ah, here we go. Now, a little bit more about the police and fire um, step increases. 691 sworn officers, um, 61%, almost 62%, are going to get two steps. 129 officers, 11.5%, are going to get one step. And those break down to there are 55 who have enough service for one step, but not enough service for two. 70 are moving one step as they approach or as they are within the five years. So remember, there's a five-year waiting period. So they're, they're going to move, you know, one step. 21 of them are going to get their annual step and begin the first of the five-year wait. 28 complete the first five-year step and begin to wait for the second. 21 complete the second of the, the super steps. Um, and now they're at the top of their salary range, you know, after this. So they can't continue to get step increases. There are foreign sworn supervisory positions uh, in annual steps who will reach the uh, top of the range with this one final step. And that totals to the 129. The 302 sworn officers who are not eligible, and that's about 27 percent, 65 percent, 65 have less than one year of experience when we get to July 1st of 2021. Those are the newer recruits we were talking about a minute ago. 135 are within the five year waiting period for one of those super steps. And 102 are at the top of the pay range for their job. And that is my my discussion of the police and fire, you know, step increases. So moving on, I'm going to talk a minute about the Gallagher Compensation and Classification Study because you've I've certainly heard a lot about this in the last weeks. The Gallagher study was completed in March of 2018, and phase one was implemented in FY19. And 662 employees who were below the entry point for the job, um, I'm not sure how that happens, but they were below the entry or below the minimum salary for the job, they got moved up to the minimum salary for the job. And that's about it for um, FY19, but it did affect 662 employees. Moving on to phase two, which is what they're proposing for this year to move people from where they are to the mid towards the midpoint based on years of experience. Uh, that was not proposed in FY20. 
and it was not proposed in FY21. Now, keep in mind, COVID impacted FY21, but COVID is not the reason that phase two of Gallagher was not implemented in FY21. It wasn't proposed to be implemented. What was proposed in the introduced budget was a 2% salary increase for all non-sworn employees. But that was cut out because of COVID. Now, phase two is proposed for FY22, and there are 1,636 employees below the midpoint for the job. There's a phase three of the Gallagher study that would address the 860 employees at or above the midpoint for the job, and that would be critical. If, if you went forward with the phase two implementation in FY21, you're going to cause yourself some issues with uh, compression for your senior employees who are currently at or above the midpoint, where you might have some of these people who um, are below them right now who would catch up or almost catch up. And again, that's, as I mentioned earlier, that's what compression is. School system had to deal with it. Most employers at some point have to deal with it. And phase two implementation would cause more of a compression problem than you're already dealing with. Um, looking a little bit more at the Gallagher study in phase one, these are the people who were affected by the Gallagher study in phase one. 721 sworn police officers got a step increase. 385 sworn fire officers got a step increase. And 662 uh, employees got a grade minimum because the Gallagher study had addressed some some issues that were existent with the police and fire sworn officers as well. But those are the step increases those folks got. And the 662 general employees were moved to the minimum pay for the job. So in FY19, based on the Gallagher study, there were 1,768 folks who got um, increases of some type. Phase two, you're going to have 1,636 eligible employees move towards the grade midpoint. And that, I'll get into it in more detail in a minute, but basically, if, if you're determined to be eligible, you would move about 2.5% for each year of job experience. And then 860 general employees who were above the midpoint um, would get no increase. So phase two, implementation would be on October 9th of, of 2021. Um, that is the first full pay period of October, starts on October 9th. So that would be the effective date. So it's not a full year. Um, there's a dynamic environment around the implementation of the Gallagher study. Um, cost or estimates for each department so the calculations, when, when they actually do the increase, the calculation of how much of an increase would go to each individual employee would be done by HR, your central HR. Um, and then if there's not enough money in one department but too much money budgeted to another department, um, the intent is that they would do budget amendments probably in October to adjust the, the distribution of the monies. Um, the eligibility for the increases towards the midpoint, 
First of all, it has to be an employee in good standing. If there's an employee out there who has, you know, some kind of problem, uh, either performance or something like that, then they would not be eligible for the increase. Um, it includes employees who were below the job midpoint. It includes employees, and it will it will include some of the employees who moved up to the minimum in FY19 because now they've been in that job at the minimum for two years. So they've got at least two years worth of experience to move. And in a minute, I'll show you how this is gonna work for two and a half percent for each year. So those people are gonna get at least five and there's a little quirk in it. They could possibly get more than five. And again, it excludes the employees who are at or above the midpoint. Now, a little bit about how this is going to work. As you move employees toward the job midpoint, there's a two and a half percent increase for each year of job specific experience greater than one. So if a person's only got one year experience, they wouldn't move. But if they've got um, more than that, they would move. Um, now, an important thing to note here is that job-specific experience does not mean length of time in that job with the city of Richmond. If you have experience in a previous job that is rel relative to relevant to the job you're currently doing, HR can take that into account. So you might have been with the city for one year but you've been doing the same job elsewhere or a similar job or similar job skills elsewhere and they'll evaluate that and they'll say okay look this person's really got 10 years worth of experience and they will move them up as far as they can towards the midpoint based on how much money they've got and if you look at the bottom of this slide there is a table that shows <clears throat> that if you've been in this class for these number of years, the first gray bar is less than a year. Less than a year, you get nothing. And if your salary was $40,000, $40, if you have between <clears throat> one year but less than two experience, you would get two and a half. Two years but less than three, you get five. Three years but less than four, you get seven and a half. On up to nine years but less than 10. 22 and a half and at 10 years or greater you get 25 percent because at that point you get to the midpoint what they did is they took your um oops i think i yeah what they did is they took your your pay scale that doesn't have steps in it and they divided the first half of the, that up into 10 segments and they're being treated kind of like steps, but there there still are no steps in your in your pay scale, but they're being treated as though they're steps for the purpose of moving people towards the midpoint. Um, I got to tell you, and I, I said this was a dynamic process a few minutes ago. I haven't seen the rules that are going to govern how you would include experience that's different than the years of service in that particular job with the city. And I think it's important that those rules get worked out because I can see opportunity for 
differential treatment that one person gets credit for experience and another person does not. Uh, the rules are going to have to be very tightly drawn and they've got time between now and October to draw those rules, but they, they have got to be tight or you will have employees who are not happy because they will hear that one of their peers got credited for experience with another employer and they think that they should have had experience credited for their prior work elsewhere. And unless those rules are very clear and very clearly communicated, there will be some disgruntled folks out there. Um, last Mr. point, go ahead. Oh, okay. No, no, if you will complete the slide before you move to the next one, there are a couple of questions. Now, you can see that this provides fairly substantial increases for some people. If the monies that are appropriated in total are insufficient, even even with the the movement of money between departments to straighten that out, let's say they have 25% of the money that they needed to move people to the midpoint, then they will just prorate the increases. So if somebody was going to get a 10% increase, say they're in the middle of this, they were, they were going to get a 10%, they would get 25% of that or two and a half. And somebody who was going to get, you know, 5% would get 25% of that. So there's, until they actually go through the process and identify who needs to get increases and how much those increases would be, um, they don't know exactly how much money they need not only do they not know by department, even though the money was distributed by department, they don't know if the total amount is is exactly on target. And if it's not, they'll prorate. I doubt that they would have to prorate to the extent that the 25% example I gave would indicate, but they would they might have to prorate some. Now, I take it there was a question. Mr. Eichelberger, Councilwoman Robertson, and then Councilwoman Lynch. Uh, yes, um, Madam Chair, um, I find this information extremely interesting and challenging. Uh, difficult to determine where we're going and if we're going to be successful in getting there. Uh, and, and, and whether or not the approach that we are using, that we recognize the impact. If we make changes, um, does that keep us uh, behind? I mean, $5.8 million we've spent on this um, calendar uh, compensation and classification study. Certainly um, to spend that kind of money and not proceed with the execution of implementation um, is something that I think that we should be extremely cautious of. I don't know what my question really is because I'm not sure that I know uh, based on where we are at the present time how to make a recommendation or uh, try to obligate ourselves to to looking at our you know, our, our, our strategy of getting people to the pay level that the study is recommended that we do. Um, 
I would like to ask or suggest, though, that we um, make an assignment of us looking at this much, much more detail prior to next year's budget cycle, uh, that we are working through this earlier during the year, and maybe the um, one of our standing committees that deal with uh, these kinds of uh, focus on this um, would be charged with uh, some direction from the council so that we can make a more informed decision through the process at least by next year to be able to obligate ourselves to the implementation or of this study um, if we feel like this study is giving us getting us where we want to go. Certainly, I want to see our city employees not go for a period of five years and not have any increase in compensation. Um, and I know this study is not just about that, but certainly uh, as we look at implementation, I think we need closer eyes on it. And I would ask that we appoint uh, some of this task into one of our standing committees. Thank you, Councilwoman Robertson, and we'll follow up um, with that uh, in discussion with uh, Mr. Eichelberger and uh, the appropriate council committee. Councilmember Lynch. Thanks, Madam President. Um, it, it means kind of speaking to Councilmember Robertson's point, I mean, I think ultimately this investment, at least what the way I understand it, this investment is helping us get to a better functioning government because we're the hypothesis is so we're improving retention rates, the quality and caliber of folks that we're able to attract, and we're keeping the the we're able to keep the quality and caliber of employee that we have now. That that's kind of my general understanding as to why we would make this investment in the first place and what the hypothesis of the Gallagher study was. My question is, I mean, have we if we make this investment, do we have the ability, let's say one department may say, well, to be a better functioning department, I may need to increase my vacancies and include the number of staff that I have. It's not necessary. Getting at a better functioning department may not be a matter of salary at this point. Do they have that type of flexibility? Say we pass this budget as is today, making that assumption, would they have that flexibility? Would a department have that flexibility or are they committed to having to go forward with raises regardless of some of the consequences that um, uh, that bill is raising here? Well, if, if, um, if I understand the question, um, these monies will be provided for the departments to implement the plan that's laid out before you. That is not optional or discretionary. It is not performance-based. Um, it, it, it simply will be um, uh, an exercise that human resources will go through um, to increase the salaries for those eligible employees by the amount um, that's either appropriate or or for which funds are sufficient if it must need to be prorated. So, no, there's no discretion on the part of uh, departmental management. And 
um, that's that's a different thing altogether. Um, and and yes, I think there's to to me, and and Lincoln would have to speak to this. Yes, Mr. Saunders is on of, after you, Mr. Iger. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not part of the administration's um, you know policy team, but I know when I was with the state. It was always the option for a department head to propose to the administration ways to better run his or her department. So if they wanted a reorganization, they would propose it. It would get evaluated and they they might or might not move forward depending on the outcome of that evaluation. I would think that opportunity exists in the city. That's probably outside of the budget discussion unless it comes in and results in um, either a need for more money or the need for less and then the less money could get allocated to other to other city departments but it's really not it's not a budget discussion per se it's a policy discussion on how you're going to administer whatever department we're talking about whether that be parks or whatever so I I, Thank you. I hope that's helpful. Thank you, Mr. Eichelberger. I th see Mr. Saunders. Um, did you want to weigh in at this point relative to that query? Uh, thank you, President Newbill, and um, appreciate the the question and the um, you know the the essentially the, the debate that this poses, which is um, if if the council does approve the budget with the inclusion of the funding for the Gallagher class compensation study, it, it will not be necessarily discretionary. We we will have move forward in an equitable way, you know, across all departments with the implementation of the class and compensation study. Um, I will say that uh, I don't. Uh, without speaking for the directors, I don't know that anybody would say that. Um, our compensation, meaning the, essentially the, the range that we are in today and our, our lack of um, implementing the class and compensation study, that it hasn't uh, made it more difficult for them to both retain as well as to recruit the talent uh, that we do need in the city uh, and to, to retain the talent we have and to recruit the talent we need. Um, so it, adjusting this uh, so that it is uh, essentially becomes the, 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 the new normal and the foundation by which we budget and compensate our employees is a, is a critical step so that uh, as we build each year and as we build back with the addition of, with, you know, additional FTEs, et cetera, we do uh, build back stronger. Uh, I will add, though, that directors have, you know, I think significant flexibility as far as the prioritization of their, their budgets. Um, outside of a question like this of whether we move forward with whether it be a across the board raise or the implementation of a, a compensation study. Um, so whether it's in using, you know, flexibility within their operating budgets or the ability to um, reprioritize a vacant position that, you know, um, did, did A and, and switch it over to a position that uh, does B, uh, that's where a lot of the director flexibility and authority lies. Um, but again, for both equity and for consistency, it's important that we, uh, if we move forward with a compensation uh, study implementation, that we do it across the city uh, and not department by department. 
Thank you, Mr. Saunders. Councilmember Larson, question relative to this particular item still? Um, I'm not sure it's as much a question, more a oh, comment. Okay. Um, but just wanted to say that I appreciate what Bill has put together and the breakdown. Um, and I think where we are right now, and it's my understanding we're still under a hiring freeze. So um, doing this decompression in this upcoming fiscal year and then not being able to raise the salaries of all of our employees who have not um, gotten substantial raises in the last couple of years, I think um, could be problematic in retention, which is really where our focus should be right now. Um, so just a, an observation about um, this proposal. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember uh, Larson. Um, Mr. Saunders, an additional comment? I can't tell if was your hand up. Yes, President Ewell, thank you. Um, I just would re respond to Councilman Larson's uh, comment in, in that phase that while addressing uh, compensation across the board, whether that be through, you know, a traditional uh, one, two, three percent uh, increase is certainly a goal that we would share and uh, would love for funding to be available to, to get there. Uh, two budgets ago was the first substantial um, across the board increase that the city has seen for many years with the 3% uh, for all city employees. Uh, as Bill mentioned earlier, the la budget last year did propose continuing with that, um, you know, compensation growth in re relation to, um, you know, a proposed 2% increase that was, um, that did have to be reduced out once the, the COVID impacts were relevant in the budget. Um, we did try and address some of that through bonuses for employees uh, last year uh, with one-time funds that that could be available. Um, I will just say that if we if we do not address uh, positions that are you know be it you know five ten thousand or more dollars off from where uh, market competitiveness uh, says they should be we will continue to struggle with filling critical vacancies and to retain employees uh, in critical departments um, without getting into specific examples. Uh, there are many that we can point to where we regularly train employees and then lose them to uh, competitive positions in outlying areas because the the simple, uh, excuse me, the, the, the base pay we're starting from and then even a, you know, standard increase were it to be one, two, or three percent, would still keep us far from, far out of um, the range of where we need to be for competitiveness to not lose our employees. Thank you, Mr. Saunders. Mr. Eichelberg, um, I think if we could proceed through this section. Um, uh, yes, if we could proceed through this section. Yes, ma'am. To completion, and then we'll take questions if there are any at the completion of the section. Sure. Um, the next slide um, talks about where the $5.8 million for the Gallagher study is going. Um, the blue highlights are the state-funded constitutional officers 
who they got a separate 5% sour increase. So they're not subject to the Gallagher study um, outcomes. And you can see the dollar amounts vary um, by department, you know, and the, the ones who would, who would get the most are not surprisingly the ones with the most employees um, or the, in some cases, the employees who, who have, um, who are, who are closer to the bottom of their pay scales. But I think it's basically driven by the numbers of employees. Um, the biggest one, if you'll look at the bottom of the second table, uh, public works, a million. Um, then we go parks and recreation, 763, about 0.8 million. Planning and development review, about 0.7 million. Justice services, about 0.7 million. Uh, finance, 0.2. Citizen service and response, 0.2 million. Emergency communication, 0.3 million. Uh, city attorney, uh, 0.2 million. And the others vary from, uh, I think I see city council at 1,800. Um, that, because the only employees over there are the liaisons, that would have to be the liaisons. Um, they vary from, you know, uh, $1,800, you know, on up to that, that, you know, $1 million figure I cited for, for public works. So that, that just shows you where the money would go, but that's not necessarily where the money would be spent because when they go through this, this exercise and finally determine who's going to get what size salary increase and what their salary would be and how that compares to what's currently in the budget, these numbers will probably change and they'll, they'll just have to make a redistribution probably in October. Um, the state-supported locals, I've mentioned them several times. There's $1.6 million for six departments. This 5% salary increase was approved by the General Assembly at the 21 session. I know the reconvened session is going to occur this month, but I doubt that this is going to change. Um, these salary increases are reimbursed by the state, uh, and withholding the increase doesn't do you any good. You can't take the money and spend it elsewhere because if you don't spend it for this purpose, the state won't reimburse you for that purpose. So your revenues will drop. So right now the revenues are projected um, to be in balance with the expenses. And if you don't incur the expense, you don't get the reimbursement. So your revenues drop. But there's where the $1.6 million is. Again, it basically follows the number of employees. Not surprisingly, the biggest dollar amount is the sheriff, a million dollars for 466 employees there. Um, the next biggest amount is the Commonwealth's attorney, 75 employees there, followed by the circuit court with 54 employees and so forth. So again, the, the money, although the salary levels do vary from department to department, what really drives compensation is the number of employees, um, and, and unless you've got some really high salaries for a handful of people, um, what what drives it mostly is the number of employees. That wraps up uh, compensation. So if there are any other things you would like to revisit on compensation before we move on, I'll be happy to try to 
answer your questions. Yes, Mr. Eichelberger, um, Council Member Lambert has a question. Yes, um, I had a question about the Sheriff's Office. Um, that's 466 um, employees. Um, are they asking for a million more to their budget? Is that what that is? No. Okay. Uh, the, the budget the budget includes one million dollars for a five percent salary increase that would go to the four hundred and sixty six employees in the sheriff's office. Okay. Okay. I just want to make sure we are making sure they're okay, perfect. Thank you. And and that's the number of positions that shows in the budget book. The actual number of employees who get increases um will of course be determined by who's actually employed on the date that they give the increase. So it could be it could be fewer than the 466, but that's the number of positions that are authorized, if you will. Thank you, Mr. Eichelberger. Uh, Mr. Eichelberger, the next section, we are at uh, 2.38. We will end this work session at 3. So if you can, um, I, I don't want to forego any of the information. <laughs> so uh, we'll just cut and then look at uh, adding uh, to that next session what we don't get through today. So just to be mindful, we will have a hard stop at three so that folks can take a break before the OD meeting. Yes, ma'am. And we're about halfway through. Um, okay. I, I, I had anticipated that the, the discu discussion on compensation might be a little bit longer. Uh, and there may be some departments as we move into the operating budget where there'll be an interest in discussing it, it in some level of detail. But I think I can show you when we get closer to three o'clock a, a rational stopping point for today. It might that would be, be great. a little before three, but that would let okay. us start back up next Monday at a more rational place. Um, so you. I'll move on to the operating expenses. And well, I want to be clear, Mr. Eichelberger, I don't want to forego any of the information you've prepared and presented because I think it's invaluable. It's just where we stop today and then pick up at our next session. Oh, ab absolutely. I, I understand. Now, this slide is a little bit busy, but I would encourage you not to pay real close attention to every single entry on it, um, although it's fascinating when you look at it. What I did is I converted the dollar changes that are in the proposed budget, whether those be increases or decreases compared to FY21. And what you see is that there are some that are increasing by a really large percentage amount. And there are others that are increasing by a little bitty um, amount same thing with decreases. Some are in decreasing rather substantially. Some are decreasing by just a little bit. On average, they're increasing by 3.5%. That's that red line that's drawn right above the axis. And so you, you want to look at, at the departments, perhaps, that are deviating from that red line because they're either getting cut more than the average or they're getting increased more than the average. But even there, 
there's no great utility in looking at the large increases. Let's say, well, let's do it. Let's do a decrease. The city assessor, 12.4% negative. It's a very small department in the scheme of things. And there, most of that decrease is being driven by a one-time expense that came out. That I believe it was from some software that was in their budget for 21 that's not in there for 22. And so in a small agency, one change can really make that, that deviation rocket either up or down. Um, the same thing is true for the chief administrative officer, and, and we'll get to that in more detail, so I won't go over it right now. Um, the press secretary disappears, but that's because the press secretary got moved to citizen services in response. So citizen service in response shows a 19.1% increase. That increase is almost entirely due to moving the press, press secretary's office down there. Um, what I did is I went through and I highlighted in red bold um, the, the percent increases or decreases that were for a larger department and therefore worth um, taking a little bit more um, of, an, of a look at. And you'll see the 8.3% transfer to debt service, $6.5 million. You can't do anything with it. But that is a large appropriation that got even larger um, at 8.3%. Public works, 18.1. There's a reason for that. We'll get back to it. Economic development, there's a reason. Again, we'll come back to these as we move forward. Um, housing and community development, the same. Planning and development review, the same. Emergency communications, the same. Um, and then finally, fire and emergency management, the same. I, I want to draw your attention to one that somewhat surprised me, really. Um, the police department, negative 0.4%. I really expected the police department with the salary increases and all to go up, but there were some other changes that mitigated that. And so um, that only went up by 0.4%. We'll come back to that because the police department is a very important department for you folks, but it's really the, the salary increases were the biggest message for the police department. Um, there are three areas that are projected to grow a total of 26.8 million. You can see the bar chart here. I've divided these analyses into council agencies, judicial, the executive, what I call the executive branch, and then the independent agency, which is just a library. Um, and not surprisingly, because that's where all the people are, and that's where all of your, that's where the most majority of your, your expenditures are. So the executive agencies go up by 25.9 out of the 26.8 million. Shouldn't be a surprise. The compensation increase within the executive uh, agencies, what, what, what are frequently called the administration agencies on this side, um, 8.6 million is the compensation. 6.5 is debt transfer. 5.4 is RPS and 1.1 is the Marcus alert. 
I mean, those are the kinds of things that are driving the executive agency increase. And you can see I, it, it, most of it is taken up by those few items. Uh, 0.6 million is the judicial agencies. Um, the biggest one there is the Commonwealth Attorney's Office, but you've also got the circuit court. And 0.3 million, the, the library. And I break the library out as independent because they report to a board that you appoint. Um, so I, I look at them differently than others. Council agencies are projected to decline by 0.6 million overall. And let's take a quick look at the council agencies. Um, the council agencies are going to decline by a net um, $600,000 roughly, 0.6 million. The highlights in there, council agencies are going to get a positive uh, 0.4 million for the classic comp study. But again, this gets to the assessors. There's there's a negative 700,000 for what was called gamma software, which was a one-time expense. There's a negative $100,000 um, one-time expense from city council, which was for redistricting uh, software and expenses. And then a little $44,000 negative for the city clerk Diaz chairs replacement. Um, so that was 44,000. Uh, five council agencies are going to decrease by a net 1.1 million. Uh, the assessor is the negative 0.6. The, and so this isn't confusing to you. The highlights are the highlights where we pu I pulled out individual actions that are showing things that were done to adjust the department budget. But that might be a single plus or minus out of a number of pluses and minuses for, for a single department. So now I'm going to go through the overall net change for each department um, in the council agencies. And um, there are five. The assessor is negative 0.6. The chief of staff is negative 0.2. The auditor is negative 0.1. Uh, council itself is negative 0.1 and the city clerk is negative 0.1. Two council agencies are projected to increase by a net uh, 0.5 million. 0.4 million is the city attorney and a little bit less than 0.1 is the inspector general. Now, in going over these, I've discussed the these budgets, the city council agency budgets with the um, the various department heads, and I'm sure they're talking to you, at least I hope they are. Um, but the um, the auditor and the city clerk have both pointed out to me that they um, lost a position because of vacancies. Um, in the auditor's case, that position was vacant when the the calculations were were made for vacancy fund for vacancy reductions. But the auditor filled that position a little bit later. So right now that's a live body on board and it would take about $90,000 to fix that um, for that person who was hired after the calculation was done. The city clerk lost their uh, position for um, the, the uh, commissions coordinator, um, commissions and boards coordinator. Um, and that's about, I 
think Candace told me about 66,000. Um, the, the others may have positions that they would like, uh, in a, in an ideal world to get, but those are the two that are problematic at, at the moment that have been brought to my attention. Um, so I'll pause there for any discussion or questions about council agencies. Mr. Eichelberger, there are no questions at this time. Okay. okay. Let me move on and try to get executive offices in in the next 10 minutes. And I think that's possible. The expenditures for executive agencies overall have increased, uh, proposed to increase by 25.9 million compared to FY21. Growth slowed a bit during the pandemic. Um, it went up by about 10 million from 20 to 21 but it did slow. That was less than what had been projected uh, in the proposed budget last year. And for analytical purposes, I've divided the executive into nine areas. Executive offices, that's the mayor and things like that. Finance are the finance agencies that, that take care of your money for you. Administration are things like purchasing and HR, health and welfare, um, that's the health district, um, social services. And for some reason in Richmond, I believe parks comes under health and welfare. Uh, public works is a standalone. Community development, public safety is what you think it would be. Public schools is standalone. And then non-departmental is a catch-all for a whole host of things. And we'll go over that at the end. But that we won't get to until next week. Um, moving on. I think we can finish executive offices, and after this slide, I will stop for the day. Um, there are three executive offices, the way I've grouped this together, and um, they have a total proposed budget um, for FY22 of $2.1 million. That is a decline of $0.2 million uh, proposed for FY22. Uh, the mayor's office is unchanged from FY21 at $1.2 million. The chief administrative offices is, is proposed to increase by 0.3 million, so roughly 300,000. But the vast majority of that, in addition to the salary increase impact of the Gallagher study that we talked about earlier, um, you can go back and look, see how much money was going to the chief administrative officer there. But this $300,000 in addition to that, is simply accurately and correctly showing the cost of the chief administrative officer, which with Lenora and, and up until recently um, with Lincoln has been charged. Well, Lenora was being charged to finance, for example, and now it's showing the entire cost. So most of the chief administrative officer, again, it's one of those small agencies I told you would a small change would make a big percentage increase difference. And it's really just the compensation increases and in correctly budgeting for the CAO instead of charging it back to finance. Uh, and then finally, the press secretary is proposed to be relocated to citizen service and, and response. That takes um, 600,000 roughly out of executive offices, but it moves that money to citizen services and response. And I will pause there for this section, but also for the day uh, before we move into the finance agencies um, beginning of the meeting next week. 
Thank you, Mr. Eichelberger. Our members, are there any questions at this point relative to uh, what Mr. Eichelberger has covered? Ms. Robertson. I don't have any questions, but I would like to thank um, Bill for this presentation. And I especially appreciate how it is, uh, how the information has been collected and presented. And I appreciate the bar charts and other graphics that help us to really get a good feel for where money is and where money is being spent. Um, I think this is one of the better presentations that I've seen um, as an explanation of where revenues and expenditures are of the time that I've been on council. But my memory is short from one year to the next. But <laughs> I take that as a compliment, Bill. Thanks. I, I, I do. I thank you very much. And I've, I've got to tell you that there is a lot of interaction that has occurred. And, and I alluded to this at the beginning uh, Jay Brown has been a big help. The budget staff have been a big help. The staff in human resources has been a big help, as has Lincoln Saunders. So this is a this is, you know, I, I, I put the presentation together uh, conceptually and did the detail work to make it. But it's a team effort, as most things in an organization should be. Thank you. Councilmember Jones. Councilmember Jones. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm talking here. I, I needed my own mic internally. I, Madam President, thank you. I just wanted sure. to uh, thank Mr. Eichelberger and all of council staff um, for just pulling together this information. I know this is a tight year uh, because of COVID, uh, and we really have to, to do a deeper dive uh, to ensure that we can find uh, where the dollars best fit. Uh, I know there are priorities that we will all have. I know I have uh, a couple of a couple on my end uh, that I want to ensure we at least have discussions on. But uh, Ms. Eichelberger, again, thank you for uh, your thoroughness and uh, what you and Samson and everyone is doing. I really appreciate it. It's helpful. Thank you, Mr. Jones. Um, is Mr. Saunders. Yes, thank you, President Newbill. I just wanted to echo the thanks to um, Bill and the council staff for the collaborative process, you know, working towards this this presentation. Um, appreciated the opportunity uh, to work together last week to um, provide feedback and uh, have dialogue as we headed uh, into today's presentation. So I um, just wanted to say thank you and, and express that appreciation. Thank you. Mr. Eichelberger, I too would like to thank you for the uh, level of detail uh, that you've provided, but also how you've presented it in a way that makes it um, more, much more understandable. I'd like to thank you, Mr. Saunders, and all of the members of the administration who's, who have worked with uh, Mr. Eichelberger and our staff um, um, to uh, ensure that uh, the information provided is consistent, is you know, reflective of everything that was uh, intended and look forward to the um, look forward to the follow up uh, presentation during our upcoming budget session. I think uh, Mr. Sampson was also uh, Sampson was also 
very involved, obviously, uh, with you, Mr. Eichelberger. So we want to thank all of the staff and the council chief of staff office uh, working with Mr. Eichelberger and then certainly thank the administration for your teamwork and team effort relative to this presentation. Members. Uh, Madam, Madam President, there's, yes, Mr. There's, there's one person that I've omitted or one a couple of people I've omitted, um, and especially on those first few slides about the parameters. I, I, I really owe a debt of gratitude to um, Haskell uh, and Tabrika for reviewing and making comments on the points that I, I had there. Um, that was very helpful, and their turnaround was quick whenever it was needed. So I didn't want to leave them out um, of the comments. And thank you for that recognition. Again, thank you all of uh, City Council uh, agency staff and certainly um, yourself, Bill, and staff, and again, the administration. This is greatly appreciated and it certainly uh, models the way in terms of the kind of collaboration uh, that we'd like to see ongoing throughout this process. With that, members, uh, we have two member two minutes to uh, the end of this session, and I'd like to thank all of you for being present and your questions. There are some follow-up questions, which uh, Mr. Eichelberger will make sure we get to the appropriate place, or Mr. Saunders will make sure that we get responses back, and we'll get that information out to you. With that, this budget work session stands adjourned, and I will see you at 5. Thank you.